Thanks for tuning into the Good Trash Genre Cast. The Good Trash Genre Cast is brought to you in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. Because at some point, somebody stopped loving you. The Good Trash Genre Cast is also brought to you in part by listeners like you. For more information, go to Patreon.com forward slash GTGC. That's Patreon.com forward slash GTGC. And this week, we do want to give a special thank you uh, to Caleb Masters and all of our listeners who are our patrons on Patreon. Thanks to them, uh, we are now sitting in the salubrious confines of uh, pop screens, mic arms. It's a, it's a beautiful place. It looks like a real studio. So, Caleb, thank you so very much uh, for your contribution, which was extensive. Uh, and thank you to our listeners for the cans that I'm wearing that allow me to hear my own beautiful dulcet tones. Thanks, guys. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? Good trash genre cast. If I'm going to die... I'm going to die historic on the Fury Road. You are without doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of. But you have heard of. What makes you I stumbled across a recording while I was cleaning him. He says he belongs to someone called Obi-Wan Kenobi. I thought he might have meant old Ben. Do you know what he's talking about? Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. And we are so glad to be here with you talking about The Infernal Departed Affairs. Uh, that's right, it's a film about the devil and his brothel. But uh, more about that here in just a little bit. Actually, we're going to do a double feature. Uh, it's the week in which we break all the rules, and we know that Mr. Arthur Gordon, uh, who is able to make a host pick this week, is a rule-breaking son of a gun. And uh, so he gets to break the rules about things that are too good for the show, and also he's breaking the rules in that he picked two films. We're looking at 2002's. Infernal Affairs, and also 2006's remake, The Departed. And we're very, very excited to be talking about that. Now, we need to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. And that means that we are going to do spoilers uh, throughout the show, and it is something of a crime thriller, so spoilers are somewhat significant. So uh, just be aware of that as you do your listening. So uh, anyway, so it's a two-parter show. We're going to do the dialogue between the two things. But before we get into all of that, we must identify the disembodied voices speaking to you all through your generic mp3 playing devices i go around the table to the left when i was your age they say would become cops or criminals today what i'm saying to you is when you're facing a loaded gun what's the difference it's a very very good question thank you very much on around sir if you would uh, my name's caleb masters and uh, my theory on the feds is uh they're like uh, fake mushrooms you, you feed them ship shit and you keep them to the dock very good very good thank you very much across the table if you would sir i am arthur gordon and i'm the guy who does his job you must be the other guys. <laughs> That's pretty accurate, actually. Absolutely is. Uh, to my right, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I would give you access to my undercover internet commenters, but unfortunately this podcast has got more leaks than the Iraqi Navy. Screw you. I'm tired from fucking your wife. Oh, yeah? How's your mother? Good. She's tired from fucking my father. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> He's really quite pleasant once you get to know him, uh, but my name is Dustin Sells, and I'm glad to be here with you all talking about The Departed, mostly probably, and a little bit of Infernal Affairs. Now, what we're going to do in this show is we're going to give a quick synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema and then our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews of both movies. We're going to have to keep that short and tight because there's two movies to review in this case. And then after that, we get down to business and we do our analysis. But without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Voice of the Cinemas, give both of those synopses. Uh, I'm hoping the first will be in Chinese. Go right ahead. In Infernal Affairs, a story between a mole in the police department and an undercover cop. Their objectives are the same, to find out who is the mole and who is the cop. In The Departed, 
an undercover cop and a mole and the police attempt to identify each other while infiltrating an Irish gang in South Boston. They're exactly the same movie. One's in Hong Kong, one's in Boston, but yet somehow they're different. It's not in Boston, it's in fucking Southie. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, it's all Boston. Uh, we're going to move on into our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, though. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Thumbs up, thumbs down uh, about both films quickly. <clears throat> well, it's uh, it's interesting that Arthur chose to do this as part of uh, our You Don't Know Jack Part D, in which we talk the, the films of Jack Nicholson, because I, I think Nicholson might actually be one of the weakest things about The Departed. Um, all of the weird, nonsensical shit he does in this movie is because Scorsese was like, yeah, cool, go for it, man. Uh, like, having a dildo in the porn theater, um, throwing cocaine at the hookers, um, just just all of the weird nonsense that he does. Um, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this. The Departed could use Jack less Jack Nicholson, which is a thing I never thought I would feel, and it's not something... Uh, I mean, I've I've seen the, the Departed a lot, uh, and I don't know if I've noticed it before, uh, but this time it really uh, Jack Nicholson annoyed the shit out of me when he wasn't doing awesome things that you were clearly scripted. When he was going off book, uh, it was bad, and I, I feel like they should have reined him in a little bit. When he's uh, got his uh, the racist tirade uh, while he's trying to do the deal with the Chinese doesn't bother me as much because it it fits with his character um, and fits within the confines of the film more. Uh, I still am confused uh, why his translator's not annoyed by all of that, but I whatever. But more the you know the porn theater thing, the his confrontation with Leo when they're drunk, um, that's all bothersome to me. Other than that, though, The Departed is a fucking masterpiece. I love it to pieces, and I uh, I watched Infernal Affairs first. I'll be curious to see what order you guys did it. I watched Infernal Affairs, which I had actually never seen, and then rewatched The Departed, and. Um, it's amazing how two films that are essentially beat for beat exactly the same are are so different. Um, Infernal Affairs is good; is a very solid thriller. Um, it is exceptionally ham fisted and does not know what subtext means. And I don't know. I don't think that's a cultural thing because I watch a lot of Hong Kong movies, and I feel like not that many of them are quite as bad. I think The Grand Masters is just the first one that came to mind because it's the last Hong Kong film that I, I really, really fell in love with. Um, but it's not quite as ham-fisted and like feels the need to tell you, explain to you every single thing that happens. Uh, a lot of unnecessary flashbacks in Infernal Affairs, like it doesn't trust its audience to remember things. Now, apparently, a lot of the the things that I love about The Departed, uh, the more fleshed, fleshed out characters, the explanation of people's backstories, a lot of that is apparently in uh, Infernal Affairs Part 2 and Part 3. Um, but covering things in the sequel doesn't make your first movie better. Um, so I think The Departed is smart in that it condenses all three films into one film. Um, I've heard people say The Departed plays a little long. They are wrong. They are completely incorrect, and they are stupid. I love it. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I think this—I don't know if this makes me a xenophobe or just culturally uh, biased. I, I don't know what it means, but I know for a fact in my bones The Departed is not only a movie I prefer, it's a better movie than Infernal Affairs, which isn't to say Infernal Affairs is bad, because without it, we would have no Departed, and it is a very smartly scripted film, but it is not as good as The Departed. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down, review? I, I watched Infernal Affairs first. I had never seen it before. 
I thought it was a good movie. I, I would echo Dalton. I think it's a great skeleton for a film, and I have a lot of the same uh, issues with it. I don't like a lot of the aesthetic stuff. I don't like the constant flashbacks that we don't need. I don't like a lot of the fade the blacks and the fade the whites that are unnecessary, it feels like. Um, and so I know some of that, there's some kinetic editing there that Scorsese borrows for The Departed, and that works. But a lot of those fade-outs I don't really buy. It just I think it hurts the film. Otherwise, though, I mean, it's a good movie. It's it's good, and it's a good setup, a good premise, and so it's a lot of fun, I think, in that way. And I, I, I stayed in it pretty well. Um, but the skeleton uh, being good allowed for Scorsese to make a great movie. Um, and I think The Departed, I mean, watching them back-to-back really shows you, I mean, The Departed is beat for beat a remake, and I think it's fascinating how Scorsese was able to take that and make it a much better film. I enjoy the performances. I love Mark Wahlberg. I mean, his character's not much, but he's got <laughs> he's got some of the best lines in the movie. He's, he's a lot best, of fun. Best acting that man has ever done in his career, right here. Yeah, gold. Uh, and so it's it's really enjoyable. And everybody, I mean, Leo, Matt, I enjoy Nicholson. I'm not so you know fed up or annoyed with him. Kind of his, it's kind of this descent into madness that he's doing. I think, and so it kind of works. He's a lot of fun. I, I just love Jack. I really do. I mean, I do too, but I, I feel like it comes off a little too strong, I guess, was what I was saying. I could see that in parts. I think I could see that in parts, so I can agree with that. Um, he's definitely, we talked about it last week, J- uh, Jack was turned up to 11 here. And, yeah, it comes through. Um, and so, all that said, I don't think, there is, I had one qualm with The Departed. Um, and to me, it's just, it's, it's kind of funny, because to me, it's a huge loose end that Matt Damon forgot about Mark Wahlberg being alive. <clears throat> And I don't think that's addressed in the movie. Uh, you know, he's only a couple days, you know, on suspension, probably maybe a week. And then Matt being so sharp and being so bright for him to just yeah. not realize that loose end was there. Kind of. It's not it didn't take me out of the movie, but it's just kind of funny. That That is one aspect of the uh, Infernal Affairs that works better is there literally is only one person that knows about the undercover. Yeah. Well, there were two, but then one passes. And then we have the one who is the Martin Sheen character that we get. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I felt like uh, that was a testament to Matt Damon's character. Ago, he was so focused on getting Leo because he knew once uh, Martin Sheen was out of the picture, he knew that was the only guy, and no one in the department took Wahlberg seriously because he was such a hothead. So I think that spoke to his arrogance. Like he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm good. I got Leo. He's the only guy who could actually inform me." I don't know. For me, I thought it it spoke more to the kind of because the character is pretty arrogant almost the entire film. Yeah. To be honest. So I, I thought it was more about a, a really great character moment, actually. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, and again, it doesn't take away from the movie or anything, but it, it was just kind of funny to me. And maybe it is an ego thing. I, and I love the, the delivery when Wahlberg shows up. He's like, okay. Like, here's the joke. Okay. You know, and so I, I enjoy that. But overall, I enjoy both movies, but The Departed was better and I think a more solid masterpiece type of movie. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what say you in thumbs up, thumbs down review? I watched The Infernal Affairs second. I kind of regret that because I feel like I watched the stronger film first. I should have watched the original. It was literally out of convenience in which because I, I own The Departed and I don't own Infernal Affairs. So I watched that first, but I'll start by reviewing Infernal Affairs because I, 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 I totally agree with everything Dalton and Arthur have said. Strong core. Like the, the device of, the, of, of a mole and on each side of the fence trying to sniff each other out and who can out-sniff who first. That is brilliant. That's gold. That is it's some of the best suspense you can find in any film. I, I'm actually surprised we haven't seen it more often, quite frankly, because it like just on edge the entire time, even in The Infernal Affairs, which I had never seen before watching this, the, this time around. And I was like, man, this is still just edgy. And I'm, I'm really digging both of these characters a lot. Uh, I liked 
uh, both of the lead actors in the Infernal Affairs and, and those characters quite a lot. However, I couldn't stand the soundtrack, guys. I don't know about you. It made me angry. I was like, this is so bad. It took me so out of the movie. It felt like bad 90s music, hardcore. You hate the Dropkick Murphys? No, 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 no. no. Infernal Affairs. Oh, okay. The really bad 90s kind of failure to punk rocket. I don't even know what you call it. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I, it was I, sometimes synth. It was terrible. I wouldn't know what to call it. it I, yeah, I agree. It, it was, was not good. It, it like literally took the, dr- the drama out of the scenes because I'm like, wait, the scene is setting this tone, but the music is telling me something totally different. And it, it really ruined a lot of great, a, a lot of really powerful scenes for me. And outside of that, I hated, hated the editing. It drove me crazy. I'm actually shocked no one's complaining about having a headache because it sure gave me a headache. I was like, wait, what? Quick cut, quick cut. Fade, fade, fade. Uh, like, hey, dramatic beat. Cut. Dramatic beat. Cut. It was just so sloppy. I felt like it was a college project or something like that, the way the editing came through. And I don't want to be too harsh on it because I think the Infernal Affairs has a strong core mechanic. And I think the actors are all doing a great job. Although they're a little over the top from time to time, I think it's still there's still a really solid film there. I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie. Uh, so Infernal Affairs, I just... I. I I was all right about, you know, and again, part of that probably comes from the fact that I watched it second, which was a huge mistake uh, and a huge error on my part because The Departed in every single way, every single facet tops this movie. And that's why I'm really glad that Martin Scorsese was able to adapt it. You, you take a good script, rewrite it from a great writer and have a master director. you, You get something totally brilliant because The Departed is one of my favorite movies of all time. I could literally watch this movie any, any time. Uh, so I get that feeling, but no, it's it's one of my all time favorite movies, and I think that he took the strong, the strong, the mole versus mole idea and and, and ramped it up to an eleven, uh, and, you, and you throw that in with a killer cast. I mean, literally every actor in this film is given their A game. I thought Jack Nicholson was fine, a little over the top, but I think that character is meant to be. He's designed to be kind of a little silly because, like uh, Arthur said, he's meant to be kind of shown to be losing his marbles. Yep. I, I think it's kind of the point. And even in the Infernal Affairs, that guy's not quite all there some of the time. So, um, but I, I think you, you take that cast, you throw in the, the trademark Scorsese use of like classic rock, and then you throw in the Dropkick Murphys, and you've got yourself a bona fide great American classic. And I really do think that The Departed is a great American classic. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you in thumbs up, thumbs down review? I've never seen The Departed before we had to watch it for this episode. So I, in my ordering, I watched Infernal Affairs first and really didn't know what was going on. Um, I would also attribute that to um, slapdash editing on the part of the staff of Internal Affairs. Like that beginning prologue sequence is so much better explained in The Departed. I mean, obviously I figured it out eventually, but um, yeah, that was um, for coming to this film kind of fresh with new eyes, both in the story and everything. Um, yeah, it's kind of a challenge. Obviously, I do prefer The Departed more than I do Infernal Affairs. I mean, you're right. It provides a great source material, and they're working from a great subject matter. But um, what he does to elevate really, really enhances the source material to a significant amount. Um, overall, I really enjoyed uh, Scorsese's take on the story, and I, I honestly think that it vastly improved the film. I mean, the points of maybe the other films do address the subtle nuances of character development and the motivations of specific sub-characters, etc. But if you have time to watch one movie or three movies, I'd rather watch one movie that does everything extremely well. 
um, and covers the entire gamut of the story extremely well. Um, so yeah, I'd watch the party again, double thumbs up for me and, uh, infernal affairs. I mean, I wouldn't have watched it for any other reason. So that's fine, I guess. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at on those two films. All right, thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Um, I have seen The Departed before, and the uh, course of this marathon, I did go ahead and watch in chronological order Internal, Infernal Affairs, and then move on to The Departed. And Infernal Affairs, most of the time in my viewing experience, was thinking about The Departed and where it goes ahead and picks up some mm-hmm. of the bits and where it doesn't. And so, to an extent, that may have ruined part of that experience. Absolutely, because I, there were several points where I was like, oh, oh, we're at this part of The Departed already? That was quick. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there was a little bit of that going on. That being said, I feel like it's a really, really stylish little thriller. Um, I, I, I think Alan Lawn and company are doing a fine job in directing the film. I do – we'll say more about this later as we get into our roundtable discussion. I do find the stylistic flourishes to be fun and interesting, uh, not necessarily always hitting the mark. But, frankly, Mr. Scorsese doesn't do the same either. I mean, he frankly – you know, there, there are bits there that are a little wonky and weird as well. No, I would agree with that. Uh, but we'll talk more about that here later. But that that being said, it is what it is. But I think as far as the thriller goes, it's a very, very stylish little thriller. I, I do think The Depart is brilliant. I do love the use of score. Uh, give me shelter for days. I mean, really what makes the movie, what makes the movie. I mean, I love the Dropkick Murphys bit and other bits that go on throughout the film. But opening it up uh, you know, in the 60s and 70s, some time ago in Boston, and to start out with Give Me Shelter, you just knew you were up for something amazing. And uh, Jack Nicholson Young to go into old. I think the transition is much better than Infernal Affairs as well. And uh, so, yeah, for my money, I, I really like the film a lot. So there you go, dear listener. Now you know where we're coming from in terms of our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, our biases. We're generally for Infernal Affairs, but we're much more for The Departed. And that is really no surprise because we are um, biased towards America, clearly. But now it's time to get down to business. It's business. That's right, dear listener, and that business in question is analysis, and we are so glad to be bringing that to you hard and fast uh, about The Departed and Infernal Affairs. Now, this week we're going to do something a little different because we've got more than one film. We're going to do a bit of a roundtable discussion. So uh, the first thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about this film as adaptation in terms of style because what I see uh, from what Scorsese's putting together and also what I'm seeing from the directors of Infernal Affairs, uh, whose names are Andrew Lau and Alan Mack, um, that what what they're doing is making – Again, a pretty standard sort of crime film. We've got a mole in the police department. We've got a mole in the crime unit. I've seen enough film noir to say I've probably seen some version of this at some point or another. I feel like there are shades of Criss Cross working in this as well. Strangers on a Train a little bit in a strange way. Um, And other films. Um, But that even though that narrative itself is very simple, what makes both films so much fun and I think so interesting is their style. Now, you guys have talked about what you don't like about the wipes and uh, the fades to white, fades to black. Um, I would also want to mention the freeze frames that happen so often in Infernal Affairs. But Scorsese is doing some interesting things as well. He moves the camera strangely at times and also the use of the iris effect. 
And yeah. so uh, what I want to say is this. Um, we're talking about directors and we're talking about auteurism a little bit right now. And one of the uh, key traits in auteurism is this use of style. And so I, I, I guess I just want to sp- – Want you guys to speak a little bit to your experience of style and answer the question, uh, you know, frame it around both films. When is style too much, and when is it just enough? Because it seems like we're suggesting it's just enough with The Departed, and it's too much with Infernal Affairs. Well, I think there are times when it's too much in The Departed. Um, the iris uh, open and the iris close on Matt Damon, uh, both at the beginning of the film and about the second act point of the film. I think it's too much. It's too on the nose because at the beginning of the film, you know, it's an iris open because his world is opening up and, uh, you know, he's got all these opportunities available to him. And then when um, Leo is basically almost catches him, um, it ir- the iris closes around him. The world's closing in on him. And it's like, yeah, I fucking get it. I'm watching the movie. I understand. And I, I think there it's a little too much. I don't think it it's a little too on the nose. It doesn't really work. Uh, on the other hand, I think a, a really very uh, actively stylish thing is, you know, the, the use of shipping up to Boston by the Dropkick Murphys and the opening credits of the film. Uh, and then, um, you know, Leo gets over to his, um, I guess, his great aunt's house because he's seeing his uncle and it's his mom. So he gets to his great aunt's house. She opens the door and then music cuts out. And she goes, oh, my God, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I, I like that. I like it. It works. It's, it's very jarring, uh, but it's like, okay, and the movie proper is going now. You're here. I think that works. I think there are times... I, I wasn't as bothered by the editing uh, in Infernal Affairs as Alex and Caleb were. I was really bothered by the flashbacks. Uh, the white ends, white outs, the faded blacks. I, I didn't mind those, Dustin. What I, I do mind, uh, the, the cut to black when... Um, I forget his 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 name. Forgive me. Uh, not, uh, Leo in the Infernal Affairs. When, wow, that's the actor's name. Okay, I don't know. That's that Andy Lau. Uh, Andy Lau's the actor. Andrew Lau, also the director. Confusing. Um, but when when not Leonardo DiCaprio gets shot in the head, and uh, they make the choice to cut abruptly to back and then fade back in, it's just like what? No, no, don't do that. It's so much better in The Departed because it's so fucking shocking. Um, I am killing you. Ding! And you're like, what? But again, Dustin Moore, to your your question, stylistically, I think, you know, that's more of a, um, it's less stylish and more of an indirectly stylish move. You know, it it is an editing choice. It is a a script writing choice. Um, But the abruptness of it, I think, is is very much a a choice uh, in terms of style. I think just kind of speaking to Dalton's point, what he's getting at is, I think what with the infernal affairs, uh, a lot of those, and again, the editing doesn't bother me so much. And I think some of Scorsese's editing maybe takes me out a little more than even infernal affairs. Um, but I think those artistic flourishes, the, the fades, the, the, the sudden, the uh, freeze frames, those types of things with infernal affairs, I feel like it just takes me out of the movie. Yeah. And I think, you know, the difference with Scorsese is he's adding to, uh, the effect of, of what's happening on screen. Well, I, I just think that the stylistic choice there is with Infernal Affairs, it's like, stop. We've got to show you this thing, whether it's a flashback or a cold cut. And, and it really does, oh, I'm watching a movie all of a sudden, you know. Uh, and it's something I want to throw in there, the, the use of flashbacks, that is an Asian influence. Uh, you run into a lot with uh, Chinese film. The, the handful of Chinese films I've seen, you, you see that a lot. Uh, anime in Japan, which is not the same thing as a Hong Kong film. But you see that. That is a, 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 a mechanic, a plot mechanic that is used all the time, and it really—I mean, for me—that that does take me out of the film. You're like, oh yeah, and I'm watching a movie. It's particularly Buddhist, and more on that anon. 
Yeah, that was actually going to be my my point was how much of this is are we chalking up to cultural preferences because we're not in a place where we're consuming lots of Asian cinema. So how much of this is, well, at least in Caleb and I's book, like not really enjoying all of these really heavy flourishes is that us being American, westernized people trying to consume this media versus being edited versus being used to and more tuned into the style of an American filmmaker. I think there's certainly something to be said for that, Alex. Um, As far as myself and Arthur and Dustin, I think probably the three of us uh, are are more exposed to uh, mainland China, uh, mainland Chinese cinema and Hong Kong cinema. Uh, Me, because I watch a lot of fucking kung fu movies, uh, and Arthur and Dustin, because they're actually probably watching some of the better uh, Hong Kong cinema. I mean, I've seen a little Wong Kar Wai. I'm sure you guys have seen a lot of Wong Kar Wai, or at least more than I have, probably. I'm guessing. Uh, uh, Chinese cinema is not my strong suit, actually. I wouldn't call it a strong suit, but I have seen that. Well, I would say I mean, it's definitely not a strong suit for me either. Yeah. I mean, s- seeing you know Hard Boiled and you know The Grandmaster and Fist of Legend and you know, ad, ad, ad nauseum. You yeah. Know, seeing all these in- very influential Chinese and Hong Kong action films doesn't make me an expert by any fucking stretch of the imagination because I'm not watching. I mean, that'd be like. Uh, somebody from Hong Kong who says, I'm an expert on American cinema because I've seen The Matrix and, you know, Transformers. I mean, more or less, to, to, to put it in, you know, the other way around. But Dustin, um, I, I guess, since Arthur's saying it, not so much for him and me, nah, not so much for me either. What about you? I, I don't know. I mean, it really is um, something that we have to think about, though, when we think about film and we think about what the greats are in terms of filmmakers, no tourists, because there is a requirement for a certain level of stylishness. There is a requirement for it to be a, a style that calls attention to itself, I think. And uh, I think both filmmakers are doing that. Um, the ways in which they're doing that, um, to Alex and Caleb's point, may be somewhat culturally conditioned. Well, and I, I think that's definitely fair because you know we, there's a, you hear a lot of talk in Americans about elliptical editing. Uh, Chinese filming has got elliptical storytelling. I mean, Correct. it trails off on a yeah. plot point, and it's like uh, we'll be right back. We're gonna go check in on this character for forty five minutes. So, uh, well, there, there you go on uh, that question of style, dear listener. Now, I want to move this conversation and talk about just uh, adaptation itself when we are talking about a thing that was another thing, and now it's a new thing. Uh, how faithful do we expect it to be? Uh, this is a particularly faithful adaptation. There are some exceptions. And so I'm just going to just throw that the whole mess out on the table. I just want you guys to comment on the exceptions to the rule and uh, what we expect from a film when it is an adaptation of something that existed previously. That is a loaded question, Dustin. I, 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 it, I did load it myself. And it's very loaded, and I think it goes so much of it's a case-by-case scenario thing. Uh, I've gotten to the point where when it comes to ad- adaptations, I – I contend that I look for it to be in the spirit of whatever the source material is, kind of following up on the, the same themes uh, that you, you find in the original filming, fleshing them out to what whatever they're adapting it to, whether it's a book to a movie, uh, whether that's a comic book to a movie. Well, we got we got into this a lot, speaking of comic, I mean, we got into this a lot on Batman uh, two weeks ago. A lot we got into mm-hmm. it because, you know, I, one of my huge hang-ups with the Tim Burton's film and some of the other people here at this table is that he doesn't fucking get Batman and to me, I, I think uh, when you're talking about a, a pre-established character that has a place in popular culture, 
I think the biggest sin you can commit is not getting the character as far as when certain things happen or what happens to who. That's a big fucking mistake. I, I, I think a better example are, are the um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo films, uh, both the, the, the Swedish original and the American remake, uh, because you know the, the novels have already been a big smash hit globally before either film came out. Uh, and I think both you know David Fincher and um, Swedish filmmaker, whose name I can't remember because I'm a dumb American, uh, both had a responsibility to um, that audience to get Elizabeth Salander. Um, and they, I think, executed much more dutifully and faithfully than um, Tim Burton did. Well, and I think the thing about adaptions that, uh, I mean, at least personally, I don't look for plot specific plot points. And yeah, who gives like a that, shit? It, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, but I, I, I think of three particular cases when I think of adaptions. I think of Lord of the Rings. I think book to movie. I think Harry Potter book to movie, and I think Game of Thrones book to TV show. And all three are different, totally different types of adaptions. That all three of those succeed on varying levels. Uh, controversial. But I, I think about three. And what's notable about all three of, of those works is you have Lord of the Rings, which is significantly more plot-focused than the source material. However, it, it, it takes the source material and and really fleshes it out in a visual... It, it, it gets all the details right without having to go out of its way to point out, hey, look at all, everything we got right about this. Or you have Harry Potter, which had the, the behemoth of a task of adapting these like massive novels... Uh, into these two to two and a half hour hour movies. I think that um, in terms of adaptation theory, Harry Potter is a really interesting case study. And I did talk about this in my very first show, um, talking about the adaptation from book to, to film. I think the first two movies, they hit it so much on the nose that they're excruciating to watch. They are... I mean, who watches the first two movies again? I really couldn't tell you anyone that just pops one the first two in for fun. I'm, I might be controversially saying this, but if you're going to have a, a Harry Potter film with rewatch value, you watch three and every other one but four because four is garbage. So Aww. it's four is garbage. I like I, I'm never going to let that one go. That's fine. We can d- agree to disagree. But I'm saying all this to say that like it is getting you're right the spirit of it and hitting on key plot elements and you might have to go about getting a certain place a, a different way because you had to take out a character condense five characters into one character what have you but i mean i think the first two harry potter movies sure serve as a warning about hey if you get too far down in the the rabbit hole in this it could be really hard for the people to watch it well and go look at uh, Zack Snyder's Watchmen that movie is slavish material, and people were still upset about how slavish it was, which is kind of mind-blowing because that was their fear that it wasn't going to be faithful, and it was so faithful that people were upset. Uh, I, I, you know, It was just kind of frustrating. But I, and then I go to my third case study, which is Game of Thrones, which is a really interesting case uh, because of uh, the different – that, 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 in my sense, is the most – in my mind, is the most successful adaption because it's, it's, it's uh, using the strength of the media to its advantage. Game of Thrones is a book written from the various characters' first point of, first point of view from various characters' perspectives. You can't do that in a TV show. You can't. And in a TV show, you're not limited to those perspectives. You can show the bigger picture going on all at the same time. So in that, in that sort of way, it's very complimentary. But what I think is most important to know about adaptation is uh, that what makes them really special is the people who are actually doing the storytelling. Do you really – I mean, it's like Alex said. Do you really just want to read a straight adaptation of a movie or do you want a master storyteller to come in and tell his version of that story? 
what I want to say now is I want to thank you very much for that, Caleb. And I want to move this, though, to the idea of the remake. And uh, when we're dealing with, uh, as, as you say, which is rightly so, when you're dealing with something that's a literary text and you're moving into a cinematic text, you're moving from uh, you know, the literate verbal uh, letter storytelling to visual storytelling, uh, it's, it's another animal altogether. And what we're dealing with here is the moving of those sorts of things. And so my question is, what do we expect uh, of a remake to uh, be faithful to what existed previously and uh, to what extent is that necessary? Um, and I guess we could even pull reboots into the question as well. Well, I think it's a, it's a, it's a hairy thing. Because if you remake something too closely, then what was the, why did you even bother? Like, if you're not going to do something different and interesting, then you shouldn't have bothered to remake it. A la Gus Van Sant's Psycho? Perhaps? Yeah, and which was an interesting experiment, but I, I mean, I think that the world has gone ahead and agreed that that was probably a, a dumb idea. Um, whereas with The Departed, the things, you know, we, we get a, entire shift in culture, we get an entire shift in, in the policing, uh, we get an entire shift in basis somewhat basis in factuality in terms of you know um uh, in terms of Costello uh, Jack Nicholson's character being loosely based on uh, the real life gangster Whitey Bulger and his dealings with the FBI uh, as a very protected informant and I, and I think that that is part of where where the the departed shows its reason for existing I guess is making that choice to do something different to incorporate different things things that are relevant uh, to uh, american you know consciousness versus hong kong consciousness um you know i think about let me in versus let the right one in which there's not really a lot of change there's a little cultural shift um and i like let me in a lot um big fan of it actually but i don't i think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who would um argue that you know let me in as an essential film when let the right one in already existed so so, so to again get to, get on to your point Dustin i i mean remakes do inherently feel like money driven enterprises by and large um so unless you choose to do something incredibly different uh and to to tell the story in a way that it has not already been told yeah, I think I would agree with uh, Dalton so far on that point, unless anyone has any like thrilling, uh, you know, opposite commentary to the point of it being a really a money centric vehicle. Unless you're doing something different, like Scorsese did. I always think of uh, Death at a Funeral, a 2007 British comedy that was subsequently uh, remade, English language version, but instead um, remade in America with a, a black cast, and then like taking the same plot elements. I haven't seen the remake, um, I think, which stars Chris Rock. It does, yeah. Um, I haven't seen the remake, but it also shares... There's a bit with the... Uh, there is a little person, and I that's it's it's, spoilery, but P- it's Peter, Peter Dinklage, Dinklage both. plays yeah. in both roles. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that one also feels like, is this necessary? Someone thought it did. Is it because they thought there would be lots of money involved? Well, I, I think that and The Departed are both situations where it's probably not a money thing because Death at a Funeral and um, Infernal Affair, Death at a Funeral UK and Infernal Affairs were hardly box office smashes uh, here in the United States. So it's not like they were banking on getting a double dip. Um, it was, I don't know, it's, it's a tough question. And I, I think... Again, you have to approach it. Say, well, what what did they do right? What do we think could have been done differently? What 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 are we more interested in? Uh, I, I think one of the best choices the Departed makes, uh, and again, this is uh, also a little bit more uh, to do do with adaptation, 
and the combining of characters, uh, but making um, both the mole and the undercover cops' love interest be the same person in, in the way of Vera Famiga and, and The Departed was one of the smartest choices The Departed made because the female characters in Infernal Affairs are criminally neglected. And I think Vera yeah. Famiga has a, a fantastic role. And this is one of her, you know, this is the first thing I ever saw her in. And, and I think it, it further ties the fates uh, and the motivations for both characters, both Leo and uh, Matt Damon. It, it further ties ties them together and it makes their story more, you know, dependent upon one another. Yeah, I, I would echo Dalton's sentiment. I think as long as you can, you know, look at a story and take it and add something unique, add something different to make it stand out or improve upon it, which Scorsese, I think, does. I also think of The Ring, uh, which is an uh, American adaptation of Ringu, uh, which is an adaptation of a Japanese movie. And so I uh, I think Gore Verbinski adds a lot. I think he does a lot to improve upon the original narrative and kind of that skeleton that's already at play. And so I think that works. And I think sometimes, you know, we laugh when we hear movies being remade. On our spinoff show, we talked about Memento. And how that's kind of been looked at as a, for a Ugh. remake. And one of our big questions is like, what are they going to do to make this you know more unique or more interesting? Because Nolan's already done it. I mean, the movie itself is known because it is so unique and so different. And so I think that's really what you know that that plays to is that idea of can we improve? Can we add a new element? And especially with reboots, Casino Royale works uh, because they were able to give us this familiar character that we all love. And they can make it grittier and a little darker and um, maybe a little more character focused on Bond. And it works and it improved it. And that's why I think it was such a hit. You know, it kind of moved away from that old campy aesthetic uh, and gave a new layer to Bond. And I think that's when uh, reboots and remakes work in film. Well, no, no, that's the, that's the whole point of a remake, is it not? Uh, having something new to say about an old property. I mean, I guess I guess Hollywood execs would not agree with that sentiment. They want to figure out a way to monetize, especially uh, in the turn of the ninety, the the nineties and the two thousands era of Hollywood filmmaking. It's all about the brand. But uh, I mean, from an artistic perspective, I mean, what isn't that the whole point of remaking a film? Bringing, uh, I, I read the story, I read the script, I watched this movie. And I thought, that's great. But I have this, what if we took it from this angle in a totally different light to tell a different story? And, and that's, isn't that the, if you can't do that with a remake, at least from an artistic perspective, it seems like a waste adventure. So why try to remake things uh, other than for profit? Why try to remake things if you don't have something new to say? Yeah, and that I think is echoed also in small screen viewing because how many shows are on TV that are actually Americanized adaptations of British programs, you know, The Office, mm -hmm. Life on Mars, you know, like there are so many. And why are some critical successes like The Office and some are critical failures like Life on Mars? And so where do we get to this point of like, what did The Office do so differently than the British office to cause that to be okay, but then life on Mars to 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 fail. Arthur, I, I think you make a really good point in bringing up reboots versus remakes because I, I think with a remake, and again this this the, the the question of a remake versus a straight adaptation from a completely different source or they're very closely interwoven together. But I think when we're looking at you know a remake versus a reboot, I think with the reboot you you don't want to lose too much. You're going to strip it down to its skeleton, and then rebuild from there, which is almost kind of a way that The Departed it 
feels a little bit like a reboot, honestly, because you're going to keep the bare bones, yeah. be it plot or character. With a remake, I, I think you we're going to demolish it and build it from scratch, I, and I think you shouldn't be afraid to do that. You're going to keep the foundation and nothing else, and you're yeah. going to throw everything else out. With a reboot, you're going to keep the frame. Uh, and I think reboots more than remakes are always driven by numbers. Okay, excellent, excellent. Uh, a couple more questions. Uh, one of those is that uh, I think the setting plays a major role in both films. I think um, Hong Kong and Boston are characters as much as anyone else in these films. And uh, okay, Woody Allen. Well, I mean, <laughs> just, no, you're right. I'm teasing. I mean, so I guess I just want to say, what, what, what do we think about? Uh, you know, The Departed, is it more effective or less effective in making it a Boston film than Hong Kong uh, in uh, Infernal Affairs just being a, sort of a, a vaguely, you know, generically Asian place? Um, I, that, that, I mean, frankly, and this may be my Western cultural eyes speaking here, but what I would suggest is I don't feel like anything's uniquely Hong Kong about um, – about Infernal Affairs at all. We've got the Dome. We've got all these references to uh, University of Massachusetts and to Harvard throughout uh, in The Departed, but it feels like it's not the same thing. So to what extent do those characters sort of play a role, or settings play a role as characters, I should say? I, I think that might be a cultural thing, though, Dustin, because you know, watching The Departed, you're getting, oh, accents, okay. Oh, the, 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 state of, the this Massachusetts State House. I've seen that in a picture before. Oh, I'm familiar with Harvard. Um, I think visually, uh, Hong Kong is played very well. You get a lot of beautiful skyline shots, especially the you know the meeting on the roof. Which uh, the the roof in Infernal Affairs is a little bit more cinematic than the roof in The Departed because they're in the you know the fucking slums of the Southie projects. They're intentionally going to a place where no one else is going to go. Whereas in Infernal Affairs, they're on it looks like a you know a, a very populated office building that they're on top of, and you get this great shot of the skyline, which. Story-wise, uh, plot-wise makes less sense, but also cinematically looks much more interesting and is much more visually arresting. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely feel like Hong Kong is a character, especially, you know, the, the triad and what they're up to and how they're operating and, you know, the, the start in the Buddhist temple, um, the meeting with the Thai gangsters, uh, which feels very specific to Hong Kong crime, whereas meeting with representatives of the Chinese government to sell microprocessors doesn't feel Boston at all. It feels very post 9-11, uh, which that, that makes it, you know, Americanizes it very much, but I doesn't, don't think it makes it inherently more Bosny, Bost, Bostony, Bostony, the mighty, mighty Boston, Bostonian, Bostonian, you know, I'm word is, words, difficult are words. <laughs> but I, I get what you're saying, Dustin. Yes, the state house is there. Yes, everyone's got a the fucking great accent. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think you're wrong, is, is my point. I don't know. I, I think there's something uh, very Hong Kong about the film. Everything feels packed really tight. Lots of people stacked right on top of each other. Lots of people everywhere. Not nearly as crowded as in Boston. No, yeah, Boston's much more of an urban sprawl. I mean, right. the, the... how's that different from Beijing or Tokyo? Well, I, I'm not an expert on Chinese cinema. I've never been to China, uh, but I will say I feel like at least it feels uniquely Chinese. I don't know. I know that Hong Kong is a lot different than the less than the, the rest of, of of China. However, I'll also say that there is this sense of like just slums, dark, grimy. Uh, Everything it's dirty because there's just so much on top of pack. So many people in one place tack, packed really, really tight. And you know, uh, I definitely got that vibe about the kind of the setting. Well, the, the the meeting in the stereo store it feels really fucking specific. 
and the conversation about tube amps, which is something that's just now a thing here, mm-hmm. and the paper receipts and uh, all of the that feels very specific to me. Um, but you know, the, the the big meeting, the the handoff for the cocaine in Infernal Affairs, you've got the Thai gangsters bitching about how cold it is, uh, whereas in The Departed, you've got Jack Nicholson being a racist, um, which feels authentic. Racism feels authentically uh, uh, Boston. Um, and authentically American, honestly. But I, I think the the interplay between the, the gangsters in Hong Kong versus the, the Thai gangsters, is, it feels very interesting and specific. Well, I mean, that's another cultural difference right there. And in, in, in The Departed, they're smuggling computer processors and chips versus in Hong Kong, it's straight-up drugs. Uh, big difference there. I mean, just little little subtle differences like that. That's the, that's the type. It tells you more about that culture, the culture of Hong Kong, what is illegal? What do illegal drug runners run? Well, there? and that's I mean, uh, that's the main export for Jack Nicholson is cocaine. I, I think but that's not. But that's not what there's. That, that's not. That's not what the FBI is trying to catch him on. Is smuggling. And again, I think that's more of a post nine eleven thing than a specifically Boston thing. Correct. As I mentioned earlier, I think that it's just so difficult for. I, I'm making a blanket assumption in saying that none of us have gone to China or Hong Kong. I've never gone to Boston either, though. Uh, well, okay. But the thing is, You've is we've never we're, been to Boston in the fall? No, I haven't. Shut no. up. We're more familiar with what America cinematically is supposed to look like, mm-hmm. feel like, seem like. And there is this sense of not knowing quite what is real and what is part of, you know, imagined cinema and. And what is what are tropes and what are stereotypes and and it's part of this piece of language that we're missing in order to fully comprehend the text of that film. I think that's definitely so. Fair, yeah. I, I think that's kind of uh, a challenge to really assess if this movie quintessentializes Hong Kong and if you know it's a lot easier to say The Departed really you know boils down Boston pretty well. Well uh, certainly there aren't like translations on t-shirts and those kind of things in The Departed um which might or might not be helpful, but it doesn't feel like it foregrounds its um setting. You meant Infernal Affairs, didn't you? Oh uh, well, yes, in Infernal Affairs. Okay. Yeah. Uh because the Chinese would not be appropriate in Boston. Um just doesn't make sense there, right? Uh Infernal Affairs, but in Boston it seems like in, in The Departed they they foreground the setting in, in ways that Infernal Affairs does not. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, dear listener, we, we'd love to hear your feedback about that question. The last question I have is um, a question that I feel like I am contractually obligated um, to ask, and that is uh, religious contexts. Uh, we have a very, very heavily Buddhist context in Infernal Affairs, and Martin Scorsese definitely amps up the Catholicism in uh, The Departed. And I want to speak specifically about the ending because it is different. It has been brought up already mm-hmm. so far on the show. And uh, there's a quote from the Buddha at the end of Infernal Affairs, which talks about the worst kind of hell, basically, is the one that you live through, right? It, it's, it's, it's living with yourself uh, versus what happens uh, when Marky Mark um, finally puts a bullet in Matt Damon's head, uh, which is a fantastic moment. Um, so what do we think about uh, karma versus um, suffering versus, again, again, just sort of the religious context of the films? Any, any comments I'd like to hear? It's, you know, the, the karma versus the, the righteous wrath of God. Yeah. Um, the, the, the Old Testament uh, Judeo-Christian God. Uh, what's interesting is I, I went ahead and looked up Infernal Affairs 2 and 3 just out of curiosity to see what got covered. Um, Infernal Affairs 3 ends with the, uh, the mole character, uh, vegetabilized. 
Whoa. So really, the worst hell is the hell you live through. They really hammer home the point and hit the nail on the head. Because it would help him out to die. Yes, dying would be good. And in I, a Buddhist context. Well, and Matt Damon wants to die. He asks Leonardo DiCaprio to kill him rather than be exposed. Like, please just kill me. Um, and that's why I think when uh, Wahlberg shows up, it, the okay is not a, like, okay, let's talk about this. It's like, yeah. a, nah, fuck. All right. Now, I, 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 I'm lucky I made it this far. Go ahead and let's get this over with. Uh, because he does want to die. He is living through hell, you know. Even the dog in the hallway doesn't want to talk to him when he tries to pet it. So I, I, I think that is a very uh, succinct point, Dustin. Well, just uh, that's, a, that's a big difference between Western culture and Eastern culture, right? So uh, living with your, your greater sins versus paying for them, which one's the worst? We really like revenge, in uh, Western culture, we really like the idea of people getting their comeuppance versus the Eastern culture, which is a lot more, you know, stereotypically more enlightened, right? Which is uh, living with your sins as a, as, a, as a much greater chore or punishment than actually having to face your accuser. Or... Well, th- this is more from Confucian, uh, Confucius and Confucianism. Confucianism? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Good Lord. Uh, this is more from the writings of Confucius than, uh, than Buddhism, but... Uh, the Buddha. <laughs> it's just fun to say. Um, the one of the worst things you can do is alienate yourself from society and mm. and, and be uh, be someone that hurt group cohesion, uh, which you know the writings of Confucius I I, I think really helped uh, the rooting of uh, Marxism in China uh, during the revolution because it was already culturally very important to be with society and to not set yourself apart from others and not to basically fuck other people over. And I think the, the, the greatest thing, yeah, he, he is alienated. He alien his ruthless climb up the ladder lands him in, uh, in internal affairs. I almost said infernal affairs. Uh, it, it lands him in internal affairs in both films and he's already alienated from the rest of the police. And by the end of the film, uh, yes, he gets to walk away alive, but he has completely alienated himself from his loved ones uh, and from his fellow police officers. Well, I mean, even Matt Damon, in the context of this yeah, movie, had yeah. he survived, he had nobody. His girlfriend exactly. broke up with him. Yeah. His his mob family's dead. All the officers he worked with are dead. So, which again, in in um, Infernal Affairs, is enough. But in The Departed, we want to see his brain get splattered across the door. One thing that I always find fascinating between um, foreign language adaptations in particular um, to English films is whenever you adapt the title and the title isn't like a spot on translation. Mm -hmm. And so um, Infernal Affairs original title means the unceasing path, which references that piece of Buddhist scripture about the lowest level of hell. And then you have the the English title, The Departed, which we get that really brilliant homage to when at the funeral scene, you know, dearly departed. So, I mean, doesn't both of those films adequately describe the and are actually pretty heavy foreshadowing, if not five shadowing about what happens to our main characters. That's a that <laughs> five shadowing is a pun from my favorite English teacher in high school. That's so, fantastic. Yeah, That's wonderful. Uh, whenever foreshadowing is so fr- severe, it's five shadowing. So anyway, so it's five shadowing for the fact that in Infernal Affairs original title, you know, the character walks away and he is living hell for the rest of his days or until he becomes a vegetable. And then, you know, in The Departed, the main, all of the people die. Every, everyone Everyone dies. dies. And so, I mean, that just clearly, you know, those two pieces of, you know, very prominent scripture in these two different, nation, uh, you know, regions, 
uh, foreshadow, you know, what is going to come throughout the entire film. Well, and it's a very um, specific uh, Catholicly rooted brand of nihilism. Um, that this inevitable inevitable march towards death. Um, how's your mother? She's on her way. Act on her way out. We all are. Act accordingly. Um, which is, I know we've mentioned it already, but it's one of the best lines in this movie. But it is, you know, very much uh, Scorsese's, Scorsese's Catholicism and Boston's Catholicism to a larger extent. Um, but but that very kind of specific uh, brand of tongue-in-cheek suffering, I, almost, uh, the, mm-hmm. or this embrace of mortality. Well, all right, guys, thank you very much for that. I think that's been some great analysis. Again, there's there's so much going on in this film, and I think this roundtable um, formatting was very, very fruitful uh, for that conversation. So we thank you uh, for that, dear co-hosts. Um, we're going to move on now and render a verdict. Shelf or trash for both films? And your else instead, um, using them as a pair. I would say I don't want I don't want um, else's insteads for just infernal or else's or insteads for just the departed because that's crazy town. So let's not go there. So I begin with you, Mister Arthur Gordon. What do you say? Shell for trash, and what is your else or your instead? I would say you know what I mean. It's a good movie, but I would go ahead and trash uh, Infernal Affairs uh, just because the departed does it and does it so much better, and definitely shelf the departed. Uh, because it's a it is a great movie. I think it is it is a masterpiece. It's it's wonderful. Uh, uh, Dalton made a good point. You know, it's it's funny when one of your lesser movies is The Departed. When that's look, you know, when you have movies better than that, that's saying something about your career. And so that's really cool. I, I would say else, uh, Boston stuff. Watch the town uh, here. Watch uh, Gone Baby Gone. I would say Crime The Godfather. You know, I think that works here. And so you know those those types of crime mafia movies boston based movies and so i think those would all pair well here um with infernal affairs i would give it six uh tube amps out of a possible 11 uh and the departed i would give it nine uh hands in a ziploc bag out of about 10 good lord Uh, And so those would be my thoughts on both of those films. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you say? Shelver Trash, Else, or Instead? Yeah, I'm just going to echo what Arthur said about Infernal Affairs. Uh, I I think if you're a big fan of The Departed, you watch it. Yeah. uh, Because I think it's worth watching. I mean, this is, I'm really glad I watched Infernal Affairs. I don't love it, but I'm really glad I watched it uh, and relevant uh, relative to The Departed. But other than that, uh, trash it. Uh, Infernal Affairs, I'm, I'm going to give it six bad drug deals out of a possible 13. And The Departed, I'm going to shelf it and give it a 17 buzzing flip phones out of a possible 17.5. Else, I think a couple of good movies to recommend with this movie, actually. Uh, a, a movie that follows similar themes as to the theological questions Dustin laid out there at the end would be uh, No Country for Old Men by the Coen Brothers. Oh, yeah, good pick. Uh, definitely recommend mm-hmm. there. Uh, also, Christopher Nolan's Insomnia, if you want to see another good cat and mouse game. Uh, another, I'm on the theme of cat and mouse games because this had me really fired up. But I also think if you want to see more Leo playing cat and mouse, you definitely go watch Catch Me If You Can. And lastly, it's not Chinese, but it's also Asian, and it is definitely one of the most exhilarating cat and mouse games in anime. Go watch Death Note. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Show for trash, elsewhere instead. <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, I think I know how this is going to go all the way around the table. I'm glad I watched Infernal Affairs, and if we had just watched The Departed, I would say you should watch Infernal Affairs with The Departed. Um, but one is shelfable and one is not. The Departed is shelfable, Infernal Affairs is not. Although, 
Although I would be curious to hear from listeners who prefer Infernal Affairs. I'm sure they are out there. I certainly uh, would like to hear, though, what their reasonings for that are. In terms of, I, I, I think, really interesting pairing, if you want to do a, a Hong Kong film and an American film that was inspired by it, I think you should do uh, Hard Boiled from John Woo starring Chow Young-Fat. Uh, and then I think you should watch The Matrix, uh, a film that was heavily inspired, uh, at least uh, action-wise, by uh, Hard Boiled. Fine, uh, one other film I think you should pair uh, with the two of them is uh, this year's Black Mass, so you can see how a Whitey Bulger story shouldn't be done. <laughs> you can see it done wrong, and you'll appreciate The Departed that much more because the Johnny Depp silly hat show goes on ad nauseum. So I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a cap in this and say we're, we'll give Infernal Affairs six men in black posters out of a possible 12. Nice. Uh, and The Departed 12 big black dildos out of a possible 12. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much, Mr. Dolster. Miss Alexander Bohannon, shove or trash, else or instead? Okay, keep it brief. Yeah, Infernal Affairs is fine. Watch it, I guess, but you don't have to. It's trash. You should watch The Departed instead because, yeah, you heard everyone else. You don't need to hear me say it again. So Infernal Affairs is four out of seven possible... um, you know, tea ceremonies, I suppose. And then the, the departed is 9.9 out of a possible 10, uh, cocaine rolled hookers, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Hookers rolled in cocaine. I don't know what the primary unit of analysis here is. If it's the cocaine or the hookers. Don't move till you're numb. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I would only piggyback one more recommendation on this set of films. Death note. I was thinking that the entire time, I really appreciate that, Caleb. But I would also say you should pair with it Wolf of Wall Street because, yeah, Leo, you know, New England, crazy shit. I mean, it's it's all there. Cocaine, Cocaine hookers. hookers. Cocaine, hookers, <laughs> lots of money. <laughs> They're different kinds of gangsters. They're the ones that are just a little more legal. Mm, now there's a point to be made. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon. I am going to divert from the group and say they're both shelfable because I love The Departed so much. I think Infernal Affairs is automatically It shelf. rides its coattails onto the shelf. Absolutely. And I think it's a pretty good movie. I think it's, I think it's it, a no, real yeah, good movie. No, yeah, it is good. Yeah. It's just not as good. And uh, I tend to collect a little bit more than probably um, some of the co-hosts, but not all of the co-hosts. And so I would say buy that sucker and uh, because I think it's worth your time. Um, I'm going to give Infernal Affairs... Um, I'm going to give it uh, eight and a half quotes from the Dampada out of a possible nine. And I'm also going to give then uh, The Departed ten broken arm casts out of a possible ten. I couldn't watch that. That, that scene. That, huh, no, no awful. thanks. So painful. So painful. Mm-hmm. So, or ten he fell funnies out of a possible ten. <laughs> Either one. <laughs> Jesus, Francis, you really should see somebody. <laughs> Any of the above. Now, dear listener, now you know where we're coming from. We want to move on to the conversation of the show into the place in which you can be part of that conversation. We're going to talk about feedback. We're going to talk about social media. And Mr. Arthur Gordon, I'm going to ask you first, do you know anything about that, where it can happen, and do you have any feedback coming in from that source? <clears throat> Uh, yes, you could find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash good trash genrecast, one word. Uh, we do have some feedback coming in. We got a lot of response to our favorite Batman question uh, mm-hmm. over on Facebook. And so Eric King of the OKC Film Club uh, he mentioned Conroy was his favorite. Uh, Randall Bay said Conroy. Fran King is a Bale guy. Uh, 
Alex uh, says Conroy is so pretty. Actually, all of them are pretty, uh, except Keaton uh, desperately needs a haircut in the 1989 version. And that's fair. He's got terrible hair. Um, Josh Reichert uh, says Keaton. Shane Arrington says Keaton. Um, and then we also got, we had a lot. Ashley Rain says Keaton. And Amy LeMay uh, divulges and says Adam West. So we thank you for playing that Batman game because that's a lot of fun. We do have one more piece of feedback going back to our Gone Girl episode. And we have a good little uh, challenge maybe to our analysis of that show. Uh, Steven Zoller. Zoller? Zoller? I don't know. Uh, Zeller. Zeller. Thank Zoller? You. Is it Zeller? Do you know him? Yeah. There's Fuzzy Zeller. Zeller. Zoller. The golfer. Steven, I apologize for mispronouncing your name about ten times just now, but one of those had to be right. Uh I, uh, Steven says, I enjoyed the episode, uh, but I thought its analysis of the media was incomplete. While it's true a lot of news out there lacks substance, I think it's unfair and a bit elitist of us to wholly disregard the desire in consumers for tabloid material. This certainly isn't always the case, but I think some people follow celebrities' personal lives because it helps them reflect on their own. And what we derivatively refer to as gossip also provides a context in which they can examine social issues they wouldn't otherwise think about. In Gone Girl, I think the media circus was only mostly fueled by shallow voyeurism. There was also the very real societal issue of domestic violence that made the investigation of such great interest to Americans. I imagine the slow reveal of Affleck and Pike's marital problems would have held a reasonable allure for viewers who were concerned about sexual and gender dynamics in their own homes as well as in those of their friends and neighbors. So I must disagree the movie shows tabloids and celebrity news are ruining journalism or obscuring its purpose. They present unique ethical challenges, obviously, but I think the desire to indulge in them is not altogether an unhealthy one. Dustin? I am so thankful when conversation happens when people disagree. I think it's wonderful and fantastic, and I thank you so much for that feedback. I do wholeheartedly disagree with you. I think part of what this is depicting is the lack of saints in a Protestant culture. Uh, What you're talking about, about following the lives of celebrities, is the exact vacuousness of our culture in which we do not... Uh, we do not exemplify, we do not lift up, we do not um, we do not lionize those who live good lives, who live lives that celebrate the lives of others. And I'm not trying to call for the Catholic state of canonization to come back to America. But in this moment of transition, when we lack saints, when we lack a hagiography in our culture, this is what we've got left. And Lindsay Lohan ain't cutting it, y'all. And uh, so I think that's a, it's a fundamental problem of society, and I believe the Gone Girl is highlighted that specific problem steven uh, buddy you got way too much faith in us as a society and as a, a species in general uh because i think uh your, your point about gone girl being about the naked wanton voyeurism um is tabloid journalism is the, the tabloid media in general it is cnn for Crying out loud! I, I, I mean, did we not just watch MSNBC last week, guys? Well, that is exploitation. It's the it's the exploitation of stories to find a story where there's not either one, not one, or it's not a, none of our business because we don't know the whole story. Because this is not time bound. Go ahead and name the p- specific story there on MSNBC, please. Yeah, well, the MSNBC story where the landlord of the two shooters from the shoot the shooting in San Bernardino, San Bernardino, uh, occurred and. Somehow, because they're MSNBC, were able to to play their cards enough to get into the apartment 
where the and rifle through their calendar, rifle through their calendar. They weird. had their social security cards, their mail. There were, they still had children who lived uh, that were technically their, their home was still there. They hadn't technically vacated it yet. That is an invasion of privacy. That is crossing lines. And what that is is that is a natural extension. That is that is where this this idea of tabloid journalism goes at its furthest extension. You are invading. You're creating a story where there's not a story yet because we don't know what the story is because we haven't had time to get all of the answers or all the information. And, and to Stephen's point about you know maybe some people do have a good reason for being invested in celebrities lives it is the responsibility of journalists to say no there is a line in the motherfucking sand do not read the creepy latin we are going to disseminate information and yes you do get into that that nebulous spooky territory of people being gate holders of information especially when you're talking about uh, publicly nationally run media but but comma but big but big fat butts that i cannot lie about there is a responsibility on the part of journalists to maintain story integrity and to report about things that are worth reporting about and to fucking ignore things that are not important, especially when there are bigger issues at play. You mentioned the issues of domestic violence, Stephen. I could not agree with you more that these are things that we need to be talking about, things that we need to be focusing on, and we shouldn't just be talking about it when we're discussing, well, whether or not a football player should continue to make $5 billion after he beat the shit out of his fucking girlfriend to your point dalton this is specifically why we do need to nationalize the media because we need to move the financial stake from it we also need to put in place protections to make sure that it's free in every way that it's in no way restricted through its nationalization but the only way that we are going to get the unadulterated truth and frankly truth that matters that is not about if it leads it bleeds is through that methodology and that's why it has to happen. I'd like to take this moment to uh, remind everyone that if they're so inclined, they can uh, support uh, local broadcasting and uh, public journalism by supporting uh, PBS and uh, NPR. But to that point, that's what Facebook is for. That is why we do the social media extravaganza wait, as part of our show. Wait, it's not just for Donald Trump's hair and minion memes? It could be used for better things. We can we can pirate we can Stay pirate on Facebook. We gotta make it happen, kids. We're pirating that capitalist empire for our own uses, and we're glad to do it. There's another one we've pirated. Tell us more about that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Dustin, your family's fucking dug into Facebook like ticks. Three decimated best. You, however, grew up on fucking Twitter, huh? Well, lottie fucking da. You were kind of a double kid, I bet, right? Huh? One kid with your old man, one kid with your mother. You upper class during the week, and then you're dropping your eyes and hanging in the big bad Facebook groups with your daddy, the fucking donkey on the weekends. I got that right? Yeah, you had different accounts, didn't you? You did, didn't you? You were like different. You little fucking snake. You were like different people. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find uh, Dustin, myself, Arthur, Caleb, Alex, and the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter. Uh, at good underscore trash for the lot of us. Uh, we do have some feedback coming in this week. Fran King, uh, who is on Twitter, at Fran King 54 uh, thanked us for the follow, which uh, we should have done sooner uh, because he is a patron, and that is one of the rewards on Patreon. So sorry it took us so long on that, Fran, but he, he did write us and say, thanks for the follow, but most of all, thanks for delivering quality content and being a large part of my podcast family. Which, oh, You're welcome, you. Fran. Thank you. You're welcome. Alex is signing all the hugs to Fran. We got a lot of new follows. Uh, one from Sean Murphy, one from a Rachel Messer, one from a Paige Mann, um, one from Wings Today, which I'm assuming is just 
people just, I, just I, add I, I, I got one from them too so did back to the movies okay so they're just following a shitload of people it seems like and uh right before we recorded um we posted a shitload of pictures of all of our uh, beautiful new equipment that uh is sitting at the table with us and uh, people have been liking uh that a lot so thank you we're also very happy about all these shiny new toys Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. It is now time to make a transition and move along to what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. That's right, dear listener, we are all kinds of fired up. We didn't start it, but it's already burning, and we want to talk all about it. I ask you first, Miss Alexandra Bohannon, are you fired up this week? Um, something that everyone at the table will be fired up about is the return of cereal. Yes, that's yes. right. The in, the famous um, This American Life sponsored podcast following one story across uh, a really, really long time. This time we're um, following Bo Bergdahl and the issues surrounding his abandonment of his outpost in Afghanistan and all of the crazy consequences from that. I have had to listen to that episode about this is going to be my third time because I really want to pay attention to it. Um, and I'm finally getting a feel for what this second season is about, uh, certainly. And uh, my other fired up in this thing is this past Sunday was the first time I had ever seen Die Hard. I know. Yes. So good. It is a, one of the best movies I've ever seen. It's and I am not it's, even kidding. It's the best Christmas movie that ever was made. Exactly. Or ever will be made. Right. Let's be right. And last but not least, I know I said two, but I actually have three. I uh, had a Star Wars VHS watching marathon, the 1995 unedited copy. Shit, yeah, son. Yes, uh, I did that with a roommate, and we made uh, themed Star Wars cocktails and had a great time. Yeah. So uh, we drank uh, Bullseye Womp Rats, Rebel Scum, and uh, Sassy Siths. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Caleb Masters, are you fired up as well? Well, quickly, because I have four things I'm very fired up about. Uh, one, Star Wars this week, which by listener's ear means it happened two or three days ago. Uh, we've all seen Star Wars. We're about to review it for Back to the Movies collectively as uh, the Good Trash Media, I believe. Uh, yes. So you should look for that early next week, uh, the weekend following the movie release. I'm very, very excited to talk about that and see it with this great group of people around the table. Uh, Serial Season 2, as Alex mentioned, very excited. I've also listened to it twice. I'm very excited to see how Sarah Koenig takes those same ideas of exploring the malleability of the truth and storytelling and the difference between facts and truth. Uh, I'm very, very excited to see how she explores that in this particular case because I'm not going to lie. I think this case is fascinating, but no doubt that uh, – I have no doubt that – what's his name? Uh, Bo Bergdahl. Bo Bergdahl made a mistake. That doesn't mean that the story is interesting. I just, after listening to it twice and reading up on the case, I have no doubts that man made a mistake, but I am very, very, very fascinated to see, hear all the ins and outs and how, and the, the impact that had on his life as well as the lives of people in his core and things. Like well, that. And, and, and still having an impact on his life. Oh, yes. I mean, he, this, just, just today. This he is was, not done. No, no, no. He was just officially court martialed for a life sentence today. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, very fired up about that. I'm really excited to see how this case unfolds. Uh, leftovers. First off, uh, I've already you know gushed about how amazing that show is, me and Dalton both on this podcast, but make it quick. Season 2 had an incredible finale. It's criminal. This show has not gotten any awards love. Like, criminal. But, good news, I was very worried because ratings were down this year compared to last year, so I was very concerned we might not see more, especially after Season 2 was head and sh- shoulders above the already very, very 
great, uh, very, very good season one. Season two is phenomenal. And luckily, uh, uh, it's official that season we are getting a third and final season. Super excited by that. And it is a third and final season as requested by the co-creator and showrunner Damon Lindelof, who I'm also a huge fan of. So that's very exciting news for me. And lastly, news just broke today, and listeners still have time to, to hop on this wagon, that The Hateful Eight will be screening in 70mm That's film. right. In Oklahoma City. Say, that first part's not news. No. That it isn't going to... Where it's going to be screening is important, though. Yes. Uh, as we are an Oklahoma City-based podcast. And even if you're not in Oklahoma City and you're listening, check your listings because they're making his rounds. Quentin Tarantino has an official road show set up where he is touring the 70-millimeter print. And it is coming to Oklahoma City in the Quail Springs Theater. But I implore people, uh, some of our listeners out in Phoenix, uh, some of our listeners up in New England. If Oklahoma City's getting it, your city probably is, It's probably getting it. Uh, That's really exciting, though, uh, because it's not only, again, kind of a public service announcement, that not only are you getting the movie, it's not the same movie you're getting in the normal theatrical cut. You're getting an extra 20 minutes with an intermission, and you're getting kind of that classical, uh, that kind of uh, film. Well, that big 70-millimeter, three-hour event film like you would get with A a Gone with the Wind or A Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, the kind of film experience that you don't get anymore. Exactly. Like back when I was a kid. Back when you were a kid. Nobody cares about it. And this is, ladies and gentlemen, this is a one-week and one-week-only event, so if you miss it, it's gone. I mean, I'm sure you're going to get some sort of cool Blu-ray release special eventually, but it won't be the same as seeing it in 70-millimeter in the film. So I implore you to go check that out. That's about all I've got, Dustin. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you also fired up this week? Uh, I am, of course, also fired up about cereal. I, after spending like at least once a month for the last year checking if they had announced when it was going to come back out, had given up and then uh, opened up my phone, uh, woke up and checked my phone as I do every morning and saw I had more podcast updates than I normally do on a Tuesday. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Ah, more cereal! So yeah, no, I, I am as excited as anyone else. Uh, I am playing the 2015 uh, release catch-up game, um, and I watched The Wolf Pack last night, which is a, a fantastic documentary that I won the Grand Jury Prize for U.S. Documentaries at Sundance this year, and had been really looking forward to getting a chance to see. It has very little to do with wrestling in the um, early 2000s. <laughs> That is true, uh, but you do not want to turn your back on the wolf pack. You might go home in a body bag. Uh, that is a fact. Uh, it has nothing to do with uh, wrestling. It has all and everything to do with a very unique family on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Um, seven, uh, six brothers and one uh, sister who have been raised in near isolation from the rest of the world and have only experienced the outside most of their lives through cinema. And um, it's on Netflix now. I strongly recommend you check it out. It's it's fantastic. I'm sure I'm not the first person you've heard telling you you need to watch it, but you should. Uh, I also checked out a, a very low budget uh, but very high concept thriller uh, called Circle that I know Arthur has also watched, which was a shitload of fun. Um, because 2015, uh, you know, this this time of year when we're trying to catch up with all the re- releases shouldn't just be devoted to the films you've been told are great. You should also, you know, uh, seek out some films you haven't heard about. Because I had literally heard nothing about Circle other than I knew Arthur had watched it, and I was like, oh, I did add this to my queue a while back. What's this about? What, what is this? I don't even know what this is. Let's watch it. And uh, it was fantastic. Uh, my girlfriend and I actually watched both of these films I've mentioned together, like back-to-back, and uh, loved both of them very much. The Wolfpack, uh, I think, quite a bit more, because it's a little bit more meaty and has got more to think about. But Circle's a hell of a lot of fun. It's just a stressful-ass, high-concept thriller. 
Um, I'm not even going to bother to try to pitch it to you. It's on Netflix. Just go read the plot summary. And that's all I did was read the plot summary and go, I need this. I want this. Tell me more. Click. <laughs> Would you like to know more? I did. Uh, Dustin, let's uh, end where we always do, except for last week when you were, you know, thought you had more important things to do. Uh, we'll end with you, though, uh, as we normally do. And well, uh, tell us what you were uh, fired up about. I just clicked, I want to know more. I'm going to check that out. Thank you very much for that. It's Mr. good, man. Donaldson. And what I want to say is a little bit of inside baseball is I listened to the A Few Good Men episode of the Good Trash Honor cast. And what I want to say is um, I am so proud of this little podcast that could. And uh, I'm fired up about that. And I know it's inside baseball and it's sort of, you know, self-congratulatory, but I don't care. This is a great little show and I am so proud to be in a table having a conversation with you cats. Um, It's fantastic. You guys are amazing. And uh, we put on a good show and you guys did a great job without me for the first time in 152 episodes, which just goes to show it wasn't me ever. No one ever thought that ever in the history of ever. But I just want to point it out because um, you guys are awesome and I love you all very, very much. Um, The other thing I'm fired up about is a thing that I wrote about this last week. um, And the research paper that I wrote gave me pause in order to do so. And we've talked a lot on the show about vulgar auteurism. We have. Which is a huge thing in internet criticism right now, where we talk about auteurs who are not, you know, your Jean-Luc Godards, who are not your Martin Scorsese's, for instance, who are not sort of your high middle brows to move on into high art David Lynch sort of filmmakers. And I have realized that vulgar auteurism is malarkey. And the reason why it's malarkey is because auteurism, as it began in Cayeta Cinema back in the 50s, was all about mainstream popular filmmakers. When we talk about vulgar auteurs, we talk about Paul Verhoeven, whose movies everybody loves. We talk about Justin Lin, whose movies everybody loves. And the fact of the matter is, we're just talking about auteurism. That's all we're talking about. And to go ahead and call it vulgar is to sort of create a canon within the canon. You're trying to keep people out of the club. And it's not okay. We just, we're talking auteurism. We're talking about an approach to analyzing film, and uh, Justin Lin belongs every bit as much in that conversation as, say, your Jean-Luc Godard or your David Lynch. Let us all remember that um, the politique des auteurs, um, literally translate, is the policy of auteurism. It's not the auteur theory. It's a policy of reading films in terms of the director, and that policy, when effective and fruitful, applies wherever it applies. It does not apply to Rob, Rob Reiner, as we talked about last week, and that's fine. And when it does apply to someone like Martin Scorsese that we talked about this week, then go right ahead. And if you can make something work with someone like Wes Craven or whomever who might be sort of more lowbrow, if the argument can be made, that's where the conversation needs to be held. And that's why we do this show. I'm sorry. Sermon ended. Thank you so much. Thus endeth the homily. I'm so glad to be with you all, dear listener, and I'm so glad to talk to you about more You Don't Know Jack because we're still continuing this Jack Nicholson marathon. Next week's film is... Jack Nicholson, Michelle Pfeiffer in a horror film called Wolf. The wolf bit me. I don't think so, Will. You weren't there, Will. Not all who are bitten change. There must be something wild within. <laughs> I've been sleeping all day. How do you feel? I feel, uh... Good. It is Mexican. Independence Day. Boy.
thought I'd meet a good man who looked at me the way you do. You don't know I'm a good man. You crazy? No. Just marking my territory. You got five new murders. What is there about a full moon? That's right, dear listener. It's a werewolf movie with Jack Nicholson. That happened. Um, I'm so happy about that, and I'm happy to be talking about it with you all because what makes watching the movies worthwhile is having a conversation. So do that, and until next time. Shit like every hour. I'm gonna rip it up now. Then you could take a fucking shower. Oil in the harbor, watch out, sailor. Bringing in steamers on a Boston whaler. Cocked in that event, stealing a truck. Y'all freezing south, what the fuck?
scouted Pissa because he knew he'd just been tossed. He started chugging vodka to soften up the loss. Sully shouted, devil, come on back if you ever want to press your luck. I told you once, you're hot on. You're a wicked, stupid fuck. And so, there we go. Anybody else say Pete Holmes? No. Nobody picked Pete Holmes. Nobody picked Pete Holmes. That's unfortunate. I'm sorry about your luck. That's okay. How has no one mentioned Will Arnett at, at this point? Come on, guys. Oh, yeah. God damn. He does, he does a lot of fun. He's a good Batman. Yeah, he's good. He's good. <laughs> bees. Um. <laughs> Fucking bees. Jesus. Darkness. <laughs> Check out the subwoofers. <laughs> of his Batman, Thanks. Dalton. 